You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man, as a two-time felon, I work really hard and I've been a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Freedom Pact. Welcome back, my Freedom Pact family. Today on the show, we are joined by negotiation expert Chris Voss. Chris is the former lead international kidnapping negotiator for the FBI. Chris worked on over 150 terrorist negotiations and he retired from the FBI in 2007 to fund the Black Swan Group to teach everyday negotiation around the world. Chris is the New York Times bestseller of the fantastic book Never Split the Difference, which has been an Amazon bestseller for the last few years. If you want to get a raise at work, an upgrade at a hotel, get a favour from a spouse, late fees waived on your credit card, your negotiating skills in life will determine how happy you are with all these outcomes. As Chris says, everything in life is a negotiation. You are involved in a negotiation when you cross the street, when you order a drink from Starbucks. If you improve your negotiation skills, then by default, your life will improve. So I hope you enjoy this masterclass in everyday life negotiation. This episode has taken us 11 months to finally get over the line. So I hope you enjoy it. Please enjoy this episode with Chris Voss. Chris, such a pleasure having you here. Man, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. It's my pleasure, man. You know, it's a, it's a great time to be reaching out to even more people, isn't it? Absolutely. So I wanted to kick this off. Let's start with your masterclass video. Right. So I think anyone with an internet connection will have seen this. It was so, so beautifully done. You did it and the masterclass people did a great job of really getting interest at such an early point in the video. I know you say everything in life is a negotiation. When you cross the street, it's a negotiation, getting a coffee at Starbucks. You're probably in three to seven negotiations every single day. Easily, Your life yeah. could be in an entirely different place if you just learned to negotiate. So could you talk us through that message? Yeah, you know, and it's a negotiation collaboratively. This is not win-lose stuff. And, and we don't even use the term win-win either, but it's definitely not win-lose. I mean, the opportunities to collaborate are all around us. I mean, one of the things that we live by is never be mean to someone who could hurt you by doing nothing. And so if you think about it, you think, well, wow, you know, like everybody that I talk to about something could probably hurt me by failing to collaborate, by doing nothing, by pretending like, ah, you know, there's nothing I could do, or I'm not involved. So if that's true, the other side of that coin is everybody could help you if they felt like it. 
everybody you talk to, if they just felt like it. And it's astonishing what people, the little things that they could do incrementally that can make your life better each and every day, collaboratively, because interacting with you made them feel better. Like I called the credit card company the other day, like I owed them late fees because I missed payments. And it was, it wasn't a lot of money. I knew I was going to pay, you know? And so I, and I let it go. And so I find before I even paid the money, I call them on the phone. Now I'm super nice with this guy on the phone, you know, and tone of, tone of voice is all the difference in the world. And so I'm like, all right, so how do I pay you guys? When do I owe you? I'm going to pay. I just want to make sure I get everything right. And so he laid it all out for me. And this is a collections guy, right? This is a guy that's used to, uh, um, people whining, complaining, calling names, all that nonsense. So I think, you know, I, I changed my tone of voice and I say, Hey, how about, you know what, why don't you guys just forgive all the, uh, all the late fees and all the late charges? Why don't you just do that? And I said that like, it was the silliest thing in the whole world. And the guy kind of laughed and he goes, well, you got to pay off your debt first. I'm like, Oh, okay. You can do this. But just cause I made you feel like telling me that. So I'm like, all right, so, so I go, are you telling me that if I just pay the balance, not the late fees, just the balance, that if I call you guys back in two weeks, I get somebody else on the phone and they'll waive all the late fees? And the guy kind of laughed. He goes, yeah. I go, awesome. And so I, I didn't pay any of the late fees or the interest. I just paid the charges. So I call back in two weeks and I do what we refer to as the – we call this the Brandon three-step. Brandon is a, my son and the president of my company. And he's always coming up with innovative ways to get breaks. And so, you know, I, I, I lay this, I start out the conversation with this guy, this credit card guy. Now understand, these are all legitimate charges. I got, I got no reason, no legitimate reason for asking this stuff to be waived. And so I, I hit him with our first move. And our first move, knowing where I'm going to take him, the first move is a tough one. I go, all right. I'm getting ready to make your day miserable. And there's a sigh on the other end of the line, you know, cause this guy's customer service debt collection guy. I mean, he's getting in screaming matches all day long. He can just, he can just imagine what's, you know, I'm going to tell him I got polio. I'm a quadriplegic. You know, my parents are dying. You know, my grandma's dying for the third time. You know, God knows what they've heard. Right. And some of it is true. Right. So he just goes, Okay. Now you, you got, you got to, you got to wait, you got to, you got to wait, you got to, you got to wait for that moment where they brace themselves. And so, so I, I gotta, I, I've just re-anchored his, his emotional process. Now I got, I got to disabuse him of any notions about me by calling him out. And I, and plus I got to set him up for where we're going. So I go, I know I'm going to sound like just another lazy self-centered, self-serving deadbeat who's got no justification whatsoever to ask you to waive all these legitimate charges that I legitimately owe. And now, now I can tell he started to perk up because it's not as bad as he thought, you know, plus I get all this negative stuff coming out of his brain and I can immediately tell he he's feeling better. He goes, no, 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 no. He's just, he says, I, I, see, I see here that you, you actually you paid your balance in full. Recently, you paid the whole thing in full. And he's perking up. 
And so I go, how many people are going to be angry with you if I ask you to waive the remaining late fees? He goes, no, no, I can do that easily. I can do that. Yeah, I can. I, yeah, I can try. Yeah. He says, it's a pleasure helping you out. I mean, it's an absolute pleasure talking to you on the phone. He says, hold on for a second. Now, I have taken this guy where I led him to at the end of this call, I guarantee you is the best he's felt all day. And this gets back to everybody could help you if they just feel like, how do you walk them through? My big advantage is everybody else thinks negotiations about beating down the other side. I don't, you know, I don't beat anybody down. We don't beat anybody down. We don't beat anybody down. Everybody we make a deal with, when we're done, they feel better about their life, themselves, and a day by the time we get to the end of our interaction. Or we don't make a deal and they still feel better about themselves, their life, and the day. Like every interaction, you know, we're leaving the world a better place than it was when we found it. And, and, that's, and it's astonishing. And then your life gets so much more enjoyable and you have more. So there's so much in there. So essentially when we're looking to negotiate with someone or to ask someone to do us a reasonable sized favor, I'm just going to try to just surmise what you've just said by there. If I go wrong at any point, please just interject and just let me know. So number one, never be mean to anyone that can hurt us by doing nothing never be mean to someone that can hurt us by doing nothing um i think that a great example of this which i've heard you give is starbucks employees that were found to have given regular coffee to customers that had asked for decaf at night knowing that it would keep them up just because the customer had been rude to them. So never be mean to someone who can hurt us by doing nothing. Um, then number two, we want to reset their expectations. Firing the amygdala, which is the fight or flight part of the brain, by saying, as an example, I'm so sorry, but I'm going to ruin your day. Or I've got some really, really bad news. When you say that to someone in an industry like credit cards, hotels, airplanes, in the aviation sector, then these people are notorious for dealing with bad news. So immediately they're thinking, well, I mean, think about all the crap that I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, this must be really, really bad. So the second part of what you just said was, we're going to disarm them then with empathy and label the negative, right? which takes a sting out of it by saying, fuck, I'm just another lazy, deadbeat guy that just can't pay their credit card bills on time. And then that's going to put them in an infinitely better mood than what they were expecting because there's a contrast effect where they were thinking that it was going to be something horrendous, something terribly bad. Uh, so it creates a contrast in their brain and then suddenly they're thinking, oh, it's not as bad as I first thought. And then our finishing move is not to ask for it directly with a yes or no question. Can I have it removed? Yes or no. But by saying, how many people would be 
mad at you if you waive my late fees. So I think that that's um, the three-step process which you talk about in the book as well, which is just, it's just like Jedi mind tricks. <laughs> this is like incredibly powerful stuff. So the other thing I wanted to pick up on was in that sort of model, that three-step model, I actually draw a lot of comparisons to what you do with Stephen Covey. Now, the interesting thing about Covey is that um, three and four, or maybe four and five in his book, The Seven Habits, are think win-win, and then the next one then is seek first to understand, and then to be understood. So that's almost like that empathy principle which you were talking about. So would I be right in saying that Covey was the type of guy that would never split the difference even though in the book he comes across almost saint-like <laughs> i i agree with you a thousand percent i mean i'm a huge stephen covey fan and if we've evolved anything from covey's ideas that would be tremendously flattering to think that that we learned anything from him. and i, I gotta tell you something i think Covey just wanted people to have better lives, you know, to get more. You know, the name of Stuart Diamond's negotiating book is Getting More. I think that's what Covey wanted. I think he wanted everybody to have more and not make enemies while they were doing it. Yeah, and I love that story which you told up there with your credit card company. And it made me sort of think back to when uh, I listened to some of your other podcasts as well. And you give some great stories about, you know, that contrast effect of, I'm just going to really ruin your day by, you know, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I heard another great story about, um, didn't something similar happen in a hotel, which is notorious for obviously for bad, for bad things happening. I wonder, could you share that story? Yeah. You know, and it's the same thing. Cause again, like, like every time we check into a hotel as a team, my son, Brandon has always got the best room in a hotel, which annoys the heck out of me because I'm the boss. <laughs> I'm supposed to have the best room and he always ends up with the best room. And finally, you know, we, uh, the whole team, we check into a hotel one day and uh, we go, hey, we'll come up to your room. We'll meet in your room. He goes, he goes, no, nah, that's okay. I'll come down and get you. His room was so nice. He was on a floor we couldn't even get on. I mean, he, he, had, the, he had the presidential suite on a, on a secluded floor. I mean, I'm paying a bill. I can't even get on a floor. And we get in there and he's like, okay, that's a guest bathroom, bathroom over there. You guys are only allowed to use a guest bathroom. <laughs> it was just crazy. But it was it was it was this it was a way he was getting his great up, upgrades in a hotel. And every hotel you check into, there's something they could do for you, even if they don't have upgrades. Like they can give you extra points. You know, everybody at a hotel uh, front desk has been given a certain latitude to instantly make a customer happy. So they got throwaways. You know, one day I was talking to a hotel, they're out of suites, they're out of this, they're out of that. And the guy says, you know, he says, I, I give you 10,000 more bonus points on your membership. And I'm like, wow, that makes all the sense in the world. You guys got to have that latitude. You don't tell anybody because most people don't tell you, they, they don't make you feel like it. So Brandon's Brand doing the same thing with the hotels. He, he walks up to the front desk clerk and he says, I'm getting ready to make your day horrible and and you just watch them fall 
I mean, it's, oh God. It's like in a hotel, they've seen everything. I mean, they've, you know, they, they were you dealing drugs in a room? Did you have a human sacrifice? Is there a, is, is there a goat in your suitcase? You're going to sacrifice a goat in a room. You know, God knows what these people have seen. So, you know, they're, they're, whatever their mind goes to, you, what you're giving them is, is way simpler and way easier. And they probably have the latitude to do. And, you know, we walk them through the same three steps, you know, re reset their expectations. You know, everybody's got an amygdala. The amygdala is negative. You give that amygdala just enough time to kick into gear, think of horrible things. You know, you just watch them melt. But, you know, the thing is, you know where you're going to leave them when you're done. Inside of three minutes, they are going to feel great about themselves, probably better than they felt all day. And I'm not going to deny them that. And then we walk them through, you know, I'm self-centered. You know, I'm a traveler who wants stuff he's not entitled to. You know, what are the things that are going to go through their mind when you make your ask? All these things are eminently predictable. All the things we would want to deny. You know, I don't want you to think I'm another self-centered traveler. You know, what, what would you want to deny? Just lay it out, bang, bang, bang. And then, and then the last move is the how question. It's very deferential. It tees things up in a, in a delightful way. It's not an attack. Your tone of voice has got to be good. And you tee it up with a how question. You, 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 it's kind of like a bank shot in pool, you know, billiards, what, you know, whatever you call that game. And you're going you're gonna to de deactivate the last negative emotion. The last negative emotion that they're going to think if they give you that what you want is somebody's going to get mad at them. You know, how mad are these people going to be at you if, if you do this for me? I had uh, one hotel I, I did this in Atlanta recently. The young lady says, I don't have the latitude to do that. My manager does. I, if you want, you know, I'll be happy to go back in, in the back and talk to him on your behalf. Now, what's going to happen here is eminently predictable. She's going to go back and talk to the manager and he's going to read right away whether or not she's dealing with a jerk or somebody that she's comfortable with. And she's going to go back there and she's either going to say, look, I got this jerk out front who wants something for free. I told him I'd check with you. And the manager's like, got it. No, you can tell, I'll be the bad guy. You can tell him I turned you down. Or she's going to go back out. She's going to say, hey, you know what? There's this guy out here. He ain't a bad guy. You know, and he's just, uh, you know, we got suites that are open. I mean, I can't get him into it right now, but I've already checked what she had. She said, I can move him tomorrow. You know, the hotel's not full anyway. This is probably going to be somebody's going to talk. You know, she's going to make the pitch. I got to put her in the mood to make that pitch. She comes trotting right back out in front. She's my manager, okayed it. Here's how I want you to call me later this evening. I can tell you, give you an estimate when that suite's going to be open for you tomorrow. Make sure you have your bags packed. We will send someone to your room to move you to make sure that it's convenient for you. She's got this, all this implementation laid out in her, in her head. So, and she felt great because half the people that are coming up there, they're complaining to her. They're going to walk away asking for more than she gave. She's not going to feel good about 90% of her interactions. She's going to feel fantastic about this interaction. She's going to feel like she really helped somebody by the time she gets done with me. And again, it's probably going to be the best she's felt all day. This is not a bad place to leave somebody. One thing that I found really fascinating about you is that you cannot stand the concept of compromise. I found this really counterintuitive 
because how often do we hear that the secret to life and relationships is to compromise, right? In the book, you give an example of a husband and a wife that are going out and the husband wants to wear black shoes and the wife wants him to wear brown shoes. And the guy ends up going out with one black shoe on and one brown shoe. Nuts, right? So what is a former FBI hostage negotiator's take on compromise? Yeah, and I got to tell you, compromise might be the most damaging sin in negotiation. I mean, it's sloth. You know, one of the seven deadly sins is sloth. I mean, people compromise because they're, I'm sorry, it's going to sound harsh because you're lazy, because you want it to be over, because you don't want to do the extra work. You know, you want an easy way out. And I see compromise over and over again, destroying companies, destroying relationships. You know, there was uh, back in, I think, the 1970s or the 1980s in the U.S., there was this cartoon about a husband and a wife. It was called the Lockhorns. And somebody sent me an old version of that the other day. And the husband was said to the wife, let's compromise. That way we'll both be unhappy. (laughs) I mean, compromise is a recipe for unhappiness. I don't see that as a great strategy. Let's take part of your idea and part of my idea and let's make sure we're both unhappy. And therefore it's fair because we're both unhappy. Like is, is uh, negotiation is about great relationships. What great relationship is based on both sides being unhappy? Take the word compromise out of negotiation and put it into your moral principles. And I say, hey, how about if you compromise your moral and ethical principles. You'd be insulted if I asked you to do that. So how is it a great word in one vernacular, in one context, and it's, it's an insult in another? That probably indicates to you that one of those two sides are wrong. <laughs> and my money is on that it's wrong to compromise in deals. Mm. So, you know, we're taught, I think the spirit of compromise I think this, the intention of the spirit of compromise is the intention of being open-minded. Now, that's a good intention. Uh, the intention of hearing the other side out. The intention of entertaining the idea that you might not be completely right and that the other side may actually have something to really contribute to the conversation. Now, that's a whole different approach that I think has fallen under compromise and maybe some great ideas, people who were great at something, but couldn't really explain why. Um, they, they said, okay, well, it's, you know, I, I don't know why it turned out so great. Maybe I compromised. Like in a world of sports, it's a cliche, but it's true. The great performers are poor coaches. The greatest coaches were, were, only, were people who struggled performing, so they studied it. What does that mean? A great performer, you know, whatever sport it is, they can't really explain why they had a great outcome. And, and maybe that's why the word compromise somewhere along the line, you know, got a good, got a good feeling behind it in, in, in negotiation, but it's just, it's just not a great thing. It's just not. I love that idea that the spirit of compromise is right. But the actual principle of it, as you say, usually just leads to two unhappy parties. 
So would a much better solution to compromise be what you describe as emotional intelligence on steroids? <laughs> Which is quite the term. Um, this principle of curiosity. Curiosity is like the most ridiculous emotional intelligence hack, performance hack. I mean, there's so many ways that genuine curiosity works on your behalf. First of all, it's impossible to be angry and genuinely curious at the same time. I mean, people are always asking, uh, you know, the different black swans in my, you know, on my team. Well, and we're all black swans. I mean, that's what we really are. You know, people that make, that do the little things that make all the difference in the world. The little, the little two millimeter shifts that change everything. So people are always asking us, well, how do I keep from getting mad? And the short answer is, if you're incurious, you can't get mad. Mm. I mean, it's impossible to be genuinely curious and be angry at the same time. So first of all, it's a shortcut. If you say to yourself, wow, wow, this, what in the world is making this person say this crazy stuff? Where are they coming from? You know, the curiosity is a hack. Now, then, then the next thing, curiosity is a highly positive frame of mind. And there's no shortage of data out there, shortage, there's no shortage of data out there now that tells us that we're actually smarter in a positive frame of mind. One of my favorite TED Talks is by a guy named Sean Acker, a Harvard psychologist, and his TED Talk is a happiness advantage. And he's the source of my data on this. And Sean says in his talk, you're 31% smarter in a positive frame of mind. So it's not emotions that are bad for negotiations. It's not emotions that are bad for human performance. It's negative emotions. Positive emotions actually make you smarter. So when you're in a curious state of mind, you're highly positive, you're smarter. Your pattern recognition increases your ability to see the way to see the patterns you see them faster your mental endurance increases um this the whole study of the mindset of flow flow is a highly positive state of mind in flow in the zone we're capable of things that we could never do before so you know curiosity is an element of that you know, so many things feed into it in terms of human performance. So the short answer is curiosity. If you can maintain curiosity, you'll get better every day. You know, it's interesting for me because to think back to how many situations there's been with co-workers, past girlfriends, uh, bosses, family members, friends, where I've approached a negotiation from a place of it's my way or the highway. And what this work points out to me is that if I hadn't done that and I'd been in a much more positive frame of mind, that instead of demanding, I would have been way more likely to get what I want anyway. <laughs> so if our brains work way more effectively in a state of joy and happiness, and as you say in the book, that people are six times more likely to do a deal or to agree to something with someone that they like rather than dislike, does this mean that, say, before we go into a negotiation with our spouses, our partners, our parents, our boss, that just a real simple tip would be to put a smile on our faces so our brain works better, so we're in a positive state, so then when we start speaking to them, instead of demanding things, they'll m mirror our neurons so they are in a better mood and they'd be way more likely to do something with us. 
Would that be a practical tip for doing that? Uh, it's, a, it's an excellent way. It's an excellent way. And you can actually, you can force a state change. You know, there's, there's, there's hardwired neurological responses. If you force a smile onto your face, there's a hardwired connection between the nerves in your face and the neurons in your brain. And it starts a chemical change where you actually give yourself a hit of dopamine and serotonin. I mean, it's, it's a hardwired response. They've, they've done psychological experiments where, for example, they ask people to hold a pencil in their mouth. Don't let your lips touch the pencil. Essentially, you're mimicking a smile. And they saw that there was a corresponding uptick in human performance. They did a study with women who were depressed. And they gave them uh, Botox so they were no longer able to frown. They took away the, the mouse's ability to frown. And as soon as they took away your ability to frown, their mental abilities picked up initially because as, as much of a boost as a smile was, a frown was also something that was holding people back. So there's hardwired responses. I mean, I intentionally do this on a regular basis. Right? <laughs> I, drove, I drove the people in my team crazy the other day because we were doing a training session and I'm sitting in the back of the room where the only person in the entire room that could see me is my son who's presenting, he's teaching at the front of the room. He could see me. I'm behind all the participants. And I'm dead center in the back and I start going <laughs> in the back of the room because I was tired. I wanted to give myself a couple of hits of dopamine. And my son is, is he's looking around. And if there's anybody that's sensitive that looks on my face, you know, it's going to be, you know, the closest person in the room to you, your partner, whoever it is. And he's sitting back there and finally he just, he's just like, what are you trying to get me to understand right now? <laughs> and, I, and, and he just burst out in front of the room. And, he's, and I'm like, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm giving myself hit. I'm giving myself hits of dopamine while you're up front. <laughs> I'm so sorry because I know that I look like a psychopath in the back. But uh, yeah, you can, you can override the system. You can, you, can, you can override the system and intentionally give yourself small hits of neurochemicals that'll boost your performance. Yeah, those mirror neurons. When, when I see you smile, I can't help but smile. Right, right. You know? Yeah, there you and go. That, that would obviously be powerful, say, in a negotiation or something, because then you're changing the other person's state so they think more clearly. Uh, a th you're a thousand percent right. That's, uh, that's right, are the magic words. That's right, the magic words. So I'd love to just delve into just briefly touch on some more of the, the tactics which you talk about in the book. One of the things which I really wanted to pick up on was mirroring and the Chris Watts story. When I look at your book, I think one of the reasons why I think it's done so well is it's one of the only books that I've read in which having listened to your podcasts, your voice is, it's like exactly as you would just write, you know, it's like you're speaking it and the words are just exactly on the page which is quite strange, I found, for an author. But also, it's like they're actually reading it to you. So, but I digress that point anyway. But, uh, but yeah, but the, the Chris Watts story in the mirroring and, and I guess why that's so powerful. Yeah, and, and, I'll, and I'll, do, uh, I'll do a commercial for Tal Raz, our co-author, co because Tal Raz, you know, helped my son and me uh, my son Brandon and I, Tall, we wrote the book together, although Brandon's uncredited on the, on the cover. But Tall is a genius writer. Like, he's a business writer. And I had uh, co-authored co another book called Never Eat Alone. And I had read that some By years Keith earlier. Frost, he was a... 
Keith yeah, Ferrazzi's book. Ferrazzi, yeah. And I'm and I'm like, this is I love reading this book. It's entertaining. It's digestible. It's not a heavy lift. And ultimately, every book that Tall touches is becomes a New York Times or Wall Street Journal bestseller. Every business book. He's a business writer, and he's the genius behind the structure of the book. And he captured the voice and he made it digestible. And it's one of the reasons why the book is still selling massively globally um, because it, he wrote it so well and captured, captured my voice, captured the appropriate voice. Wow. Uh, all right. So Chris Watts, Chris Watts, what, what's a mirror? A mirror is repeating the last one to three words of what someone has just said. It's not the body language mirror that everybody's learned. And, you know, I don't know, NLP or whatever, whatever that kind of stuff is. This is not, you know, mimicking their body language. It's just repeating the hostage negotiator's mirror. It's just repeating the last one to three-ish words of what somebody's just said. And, you know, when you get good at it, you can move it from a selected one to three-ish words. And it's a great skill when you're stunned by what the other person said. I mean, because if, if you just develop that skill, there, there's nothing easier than learning how to mirror. Nothing easier. You don't even have to think to repeat one to three words. No thought required. Just practice getting it down. So I'm, I'm on the phone with this bank robber, and he says something to me about chasing his driver away because we are pretty sure we got the getaway car out front of the bank. It's registered to the guy we believe is inside the bank who's been hiding his identity. I've been tasked with bracing him about the van and his identity. We've already got a voice ID. 99.99% sure that Chris Watts is in a bank. So I'm going to, I'm going to wander into this. I'm going to walk him into how we know who he is real slowly by telling him about the van and we've ID'd every driver, every owner of the van and talk to him except one. There's one van outside we haven't found the owner of. And as it turns out, you are probably that guy. <laughs> So I'm walking him into this, having no idea that there's a getaway driver who's gotten away. None, none. And so I start talking about the van and he says, well, you know, we only have one van. I said, you only have one van? He says, yeah, well, when my driver saw the police, he cut and run. I said, he cut and run? He said, yeah, you chased my driver away. We chased your driver away? Yeah, he cut and run. And I'm and I like I was I was I got no idea what he's talking about. None. None. And I'm so stunned that I'm just repeating what he says. And this ends up being so damaging that they go out and they find the getaway driver. Chris Watts, who's the guy who said this to me, is an insanely manipulative guy. This is probably one of the only things that have come out of his mouth that he blurted out that he didn't think about in advance, which is what you're trying to get people to do. You want them to do what we refer to as, I know it's gonna sound you know, harsh and disgusting, but you want people vomiting information. You want them blurting stuff out without thinking about it at the time because it's probably gonna be insanely true and insanely unguarded. And he starts blurting out information about another guy which means we're probably going to catch this guy, which means this guy's going to give him up. I mean, this is completely against his best interest, but he can't help himself because that's what a mirror does. It gets people to blurt out information. And it was one of the most powerful skills. And Watts, as it turns out, bore all the attributes of the great 
manipulative cutthroat negotiator in all business deals. And this was in a bank robbery. Yeah. So we can use a mirror, which is repeating the last one to three words of what someone has just said, as a way to not only build rapport, to show empathy, to show that we're listening, but we can use her as a way to get the other side to keep talking and talking and vomiting our information. So didn't this technique help a woman that you were coaching that she had this boss that just kept on dumping her with loads and loads of unnecessary work? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was nuts. I mean, and she was so astonished at everything that he was saying because you know, so a few years ago when we, when we first started going digital and, you know, then there are a lot of people, even today, people want hardcover. They want the paper. It makes them feel good. They can touch it. I don't know what it is, but they, she had this massive report and all of it could have fit on a disc or they could print out thousands of documents that she knows a client doesn't want. But this, this dude is an old school guy that it makes him happy he feels good with paper. You know, the, 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 great, the great problem with the golden rule is treat people the way you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Well, since paper made, paper made him feel good, then it's got to make the client feel good because I like paper. You know, that, that is just so wrong. And so not only does he want this entire report, which is thousands of paper, pages, but he wants it in duplicate. And she, she starts printing out, uh, saying like in, in duplicate, uh, you know, hard copies, uh, two copies for each. And he starts saying this stuff out loud and he starts walking himself into, you know, yeah, what are we going to, if the client doesn't want it, what are we going to do it, do with it? And he goes, finally says, oh, you could store it in my office. And her last mirror was store it in your office. And he thinks like, you know, you could tell the wheels are turning and he realizes his office got enough stuff in it already he doesn't need. <laughs> so he's like, you know, I just go, you just make the digital copies and forget about it. If they ask us for hard copies, we'll, we'll supply them. And all she did was mirror him. And there's so much nonsense banging around inside of some people's heads that if you just become a really effective sounding board for them and let them hear it out loud themselves, they will talk themselves out, out of bad outcomes that they would never have talked themselves out of if you didn't become this great sounding board. What is the feeling like when these techniques which you've learned through years and years of hostage negotiation can help the typical everyday person not get taken advantage of? Yeah, I, I got to tell you something. The feeling is phenomenal. I mean, it's, you know, I've, I was taught to be a little leery of pride, but the gratification, you know, that, that, that we're actually helping people make their lives better, they're having better relationships and not leaving enemies in their wake. I mean, while they're making their lives better, they're not doing it at somebody else's expense. I mean, I'm a strong believer in, Business is really what makes our societies better. You know, out of control business needs to be checked by government. But, you know, Bono, I think at the World Economic Forum, said not that long ago, you know, capitalism 
has brought more people out of poverty than any other ism. And I think that's absolutely true. Capitalism, better business, better negotiations, benefits mankind in ways that nothing else that we've seen. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't still need some, some guidelines, some checks, some occasional constraints. But if it's the ism that has done the world more good than any other ism, then it should be, it's in all of our best interest to make it better and make it work better. So yeah, leaving the world a better place is, is enormously gratifying. What's the thing that you're most proud of in your life and your career to date? Wow. Um, you know, everybody, uh, everybody on my team is ultimately not just the people that we serve, but everybody that works, you know, with us, for us. They really enjoy what they're doing. And they're, uh, even, if, even if they weren't taking their life to a better place, they were also taking their life to a better place. I mean, every, you know, we're lifting people up um, so that they, uh, they're going to have more. They're going to have a bigger house. They're going to give their kids more. And on the way, they're going to feel better about it. I mean, I, we, get, we get people working at all hours. I mean, I get, we get virtual assistants that don't feel they work for the virtual company that provide us. They feel that they're black swans. And they happily respond to my text messages at all times. Like, uh, I had two nights ago. I'm getting, I'm, I'm, I'm in a time zone where everybody's clock is two to three hours later than mine. Mm -hmm. I'm getting text messages reminding me of an early morning meeting at, at nine o'clock at night, which means it was 11 or midnight in the, in the places where these people are sending me texts because they're looking out for me because they like looking out for me because they like making the team better. I mean, that's a cool thing. Everybody that works for us is happier than they were before they started working for us. And that's another thing that I'm, I'm really, really get a lot of uh, happiness and satisfaction out of. Amazing. That's amazing. Um, one of the major ideas of the book is obviously tactical empathy. And I think that you're the one chapter you dedicate to labeling emotions. I think that I couldn't do a podcast without delving into this because this is so, so key. So could we just delve into this and the power of this? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's another, a simple thing. Um, it's one of the most effective things. I mean, basically, it's calling out emotions and labeling them. That's why, that's why we call them labels. Mm. And it's nearly, it's close enough to be a fault-free application of a skill if you label what you're hearing, you know, and what we found you hear a positive dynamic, it reinforces it. You know, sounds like a great long-term relationship's important to you. People go like, yeah, you know, yeah, it is. But the, the more powerful thing is to call the negatives out fearlessly, not deny them, call them out. I mean, that's where we really accelerate outcomes. Because if you feel like I'm pushing you around, or if I have reason to suspect that you might feel that I'm pushing you around, even if it's only because you're paranoid or you had a bad experience with somebody else. You know, my typical reaction in the past would have been, look, I don't want you to feel like I'm pushing you around, which is going to cause you to get defensive and have completely the opposite impact. What people can't imagine is if you just take the two millimeter shift, the black swan shift and say, probably feels like I'm pushing you around. Mm. That'll actually, that will actually deactivate it. 
your reaction is going to be like, no, no. And I actually appreciate you being candid with me. I actually appreciate you being cautious of my feelings, but no, that, that thought didn't enter my head. Or if it did feel like I was pushing you around, then I said, you know, I'm sure it seems like I, I'm pushing you around. Your reaction would be relief. You'd be like, wow, you're not oblivious to the fact that I might perceive you to be a jerk. And you're going to be ridiculously appreciative of the fact that I'm not oblivious to the negative effects I could have on you. So this labeling thing, which when we, when we first started bringing hostage negotiation out of the hostage negotiation world into the business world, we didn't think labels were going to be that big of a deal. And we have found, you know, my son and I principally and Derek uh, as well, we have found there's nothing more effective. I mean, we, it went from almost being a throwaway skill to like our most effective, impactful and flexible skill overall. I mean, we're using it to cut deals right and left that, you know, are astonishing and, and leaving us with great relationships simultaneously. Yeah, it is really the, you know, it is really an emotionally intelligent skill, you know, no question. Um, I'd love to, you know, because that's obviously right. I, I, yeah, yeah. No, that's right out of me. Good job. Oh, um, one of the things in the book, which you talk about is that late night FM DJ voice. So I wondered, could I, could you give me a sentence and I I can try and see if I can get the Chris Voss stamp of approval. Sure. Well, the late night FM FM DJ. DJ. So uh, just remind me, is this the assertive one where it's like, no, I don't want to do that. Well, it's, you know, it's when you need to be assertive. But you got to be assertive in a gentle fashion, mm. you know, and in point of fact, assertion is a necessary element of great negotiation. Assertion without emotional intelligence is counterproductive Then it's aggression mm. and it's blunt force trauma and it's counterproductive. But the other side's got to know where you're coming from. I mean, otherwise you, if you don't assert your best interests, they got to guess. And they're probably going to guess wrong. And then you're going to be mad because they didn't look out for your best interest. I mean, failing to assert is as problematic as any flaw. Uh, But you just have to assert in an emotionally intelligent way. You don't want to make people feel accused, attacked, backed into a corner. And one of the great things to do is if you have to turn somebody down over something, you know, that's when the late night FM DJ voice got to come into play. You got to say it in, in, in an emotionally intelligent way. But even if you, if the word is no, I mean, you could go, no, you know, which your tone of voice is saying, you idiot, how dare you, I hate you and your family and your clothes. Because that's the way they're going to react. Or you could go, no. <laughs> I love this. Yeah, I love this. You know, there's a thousand percent different there. Or, (laughs) you know, if if there's a clause in in the contract that you can't do, you say, we don't do that. You know, again, tone of voice is insulting. We could say, we don't do that. And the other side is going to feel like, okay, let's see how we can work on this. Because they didn't feel attacked. So, the, you know, the late night FM DJ voice is great for, for two times. When you have to lay out something that 
is immovable and you need the other side to feel like it's immovable without feeling attacked or backed into a corner. The other time is when emotions are elevated. And in these times of the coronavirus pandemic, everybody's emotions are elevated. So we used to say the late night FM DJ voice, you should use it about 10 to 15% of the time. And you should have the, the, you know, a smiling voice, an upbeat, positive voice, you know, uh, making them smarter in the moment. You know, that should be your voice about 85% of the time. You know, in crisis, in the crisis mode that we're in globally, the late night FM DJ voice probably ought to be your default voice about 85% of the time. It helps people get their emotions under control. It's the fastest way to get people's emotions under control. Let your voice soothe them and calm them so that they're not being driven by fear. It's, it's huge. It's, positive. it's powerful. The late night FM DJ voice. This is a really powerful tool particularly I would imagine for the people which struggle to assert themselves. So this is a tool we can use to assert ourselves and our boundaries without being aggressive. We always end the sentence with a downward inflection. So something like, no, I don't want to do that. (laughs) I heard you say before that you did this at a conference once. And was there a hypnotherapist that came up to you and said that this was the first thing that they had learned at university? Like, how, how did you come up with this? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it was you know, way back when trying to figure a, a handle to describe it. It was it was just a social reference, you know, before the age of digital music and iTunes and musical streaming and all the digital downloads principally everybody could relate because you know everybody listened to the radio and they were basically their two bandwidths they were am and fm and am was principally information and fm was principally music and then the the you know the radio broadcasters that were on am stations late at night you know they all had these calming soothing voices get you to listen to them and everybody could relate to it as a social reference and We've just continued to use it and that, you know, that, that term sort of stuck. Even if we've used it so much, nobody knows what an FM DJ is, but <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's got its own sort of recognition because it's been used so much in, you know, in our vernacular and then we illustrate. How much of these techniques could be used for dating or maybe early stage relationships? Perhaps a person listening to this and they go and meet someone at, a bar or a nightclub, at the gym, out walking, at a shopping mall. How much of this stuff could be incorporated into conversation, specifically in the dating uh, relationships type dynamic? I got to tell you something. Um, Use your powers for good and not evil. All right. But yeah, you know, dating life, People want to be listened to, you know, interesting per people, you know, there's an old saying, interesting, interesting people are interested. Mm -hmm. So labeling and mirroring and being genuinely interested in the other person is a great way for you to seem interesting. You know, get them talking about themselves. You know, most people can't carry a conversation because 
they either don't know how to make small talk or when they talk about themselves, they're ridiculously boring. But when somebody's talking about themselves, they're fascinated. So it's a great way to get somebody talking about themselves, get a lot of information out of somebody. They're doing all the work. There's no shortage of better relationships. Yeah, it'll help your dating. Be genuinely interested. Use labeling and mirroring. Use an encouraging voice. And be genuinely interested in the other person. And I promise you that your dating life and all your relationships are going to improve. And don't wear the black and the brown shoe at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> don't wear the black shoe and the brown shoe at the same time. Unless, like, maybe, you know, you're going for crazy effect. <laughs> Absolutely. One of the things I heard you say on another podcast well, was you talked about um, the power of correction and how this oh, is right. like this is like a drug for us. So could we just touch on this? The urge to correct is irresistible. It might as well be one of the deadly sins. I mean, the other person's desire to correct you, they will blurt stuff out that they would never say otherwise. They would blurt stuff out that is clearly against their interest to say. But to correct is so satisfying mm. that they cannot fight the urge to correct you. And then the secondary benefit is having corrected you, everybody, they felt great about it. Everybody knows the phrase, people don't remember what you said or what they said. They remember how they felt in the moment. So it's a great way to get information that they shouldn't tell you and have them not regret giving it because it felt so good in the moment. And we trigger people into intentional corrections all the time. It was a, a British company that we were coaching in a business negotiation. And they knew there was a problem on the other side of the table. They could guess approximately where the problem was with what executive, but they could only guess within about two or three executives. So they just decided to trigger the other side into telling them via correction. They sat down at the table and I'll use the names Tom and Bob as an example. And they said, it seems like both Tom and Bob are against this proposal. And the other side immediately shot back. No, it's not Tom. It's Bob. Well, instantly, you know, this is, uh, this is relatively proprietary team information about the liberations that are going on on the other side. Exactly who on your side is the problem. Most people aren't going to answer that question because they're going to be worried about the ramifications. What are we giving away? You know, who are we giving up? Who are we throwing, you know, who are we throwing into harm's way? But since it was a correction, the other side shot it back initially and gave up information that in fact moved the situation forward, but otherwise would have been closely held that they never, you know, who's, who's the problem on the other side? Well, it's not really, there's an individual that's a problem. I'm sure it would have been the response to the question. They, they, they would have danced around it because they would have been concerned about giving up the information, but turn it into a correction via a label and the other side's going to spit it out before they realize what they've said. And they're not going to feel guilty about it because it felt so good to say it at the time. So people have this inherent need to correct. And when we do correct, our guard is down. That seems to me like such a hugely powerful psychological tool, which when applied correctly could just have these crazy massive upsides um i've got one last question because i do appreciate that we are running out of time and this has been great so the last question i've got for you in regards to negotiation is we had shane parish 
um, on the show a few weeks back. I know you were on Shane's show, uh, The Knowledge Project. Shane is this phenomenal guy. Many people will know Shane from the work he's done with mental models. Farnham Street, his company, have published 100 plus mental models from various disciplines. Um, And one in particular that I like is this mental model of inversion. So this is a principle from mathematics. And the basic principle is that we reverse the question. So instead of asking, how can I be happy? We reverse that question and say, how can I be unhappy? And then if we answer that question, we would say things like, let's eat processed foods, let's disrupt our sleep, let's stay indoors and socially isolate, let's not exercise, let's get involved in toxic relationships, let's go and get into significant financial debt, let's take up a meaningless job. And we can use that and just say, okay, if we just avoid all those things which we've just come up with, then we would be well on our way to being happy. Um, So my question to you, Chris, would be, what would the inversion of a good negotiator be? What would be the inversion of a good negotiator? Mm -hmm. Yeah, somebody who doesn't listen. Somebody's determined to go first. Somebody who's you know, uh, a bad negotiator is somebody who's determined to get their point across first. Um, a bad negotiator exaggerates what they want because that's by definition deception. And exaggerating what you want drives deals away from the table that you would otherwise be able to make. I mean, I hate not making a deal. And, uh, you know, if somebody gets on a phone with us initially, and I can smell somebody who's going to exaggerate what they want or try, or try to get us for nothing. I mean, I'm, I'm off the phone. Now, there probably would have been a deal there somewhere, but you're so annoying that I'm not going to, you're not going to be worth the trouble. You're just not. Uh, so, you know, uh, Joe Polish, a good friend of mine, he runs something called the Genius Network out of Phoenix, Arizona. Joe has a phrase, he calls these people half people, half, hard, annoying, lame, and frustrating. He says, you want to eliminate all the halves from your life. You want to, you want to deal with the elves, the easy, lucrative, and frustrating. And he said, you know, that a half could, the L and half could even be lucrative, hard, annoying, lucrative, and frustrating. But those people are just so hard, annoying, and frustrating, they're not worth it. So, you know, if you're half, if you're annoying, if you're frustrating for somebody to deal with, it's costing you money and you're not going to feel it because the, your low batting average, your low percentage of success is going to be completely obscured because it was so satisfying to slaughter the other side that you don't realize that you're leaving so much money on the table and there's so many deals you're not making. That's a bad negotiator. What really impresses, um, me about you Chris is that you talk a lot in just general lay terms but having read your book and listened to you know pretty much every interview I could find your knowledge of human psychology is just amazing which leads me to to think that below the surface there's you know a, a lot going on under there so there's I'd a caveman there's a caveman below yeah. sir <laughs> uh, Fred Flintstone 
<laughs> so I'd love to know what are some of the books which have imp- impacted your life. Yeah, well, I got a t- I got I got one of them over here. I mean, um, the rise of Superman, Stephen Kotler. Yeah. It's a it's about human performance, and I like I, anything that's got Kotler's name on it is worth reading. Stealing Fire is another fantastic book. He's got some collaborations with a guy named Peter Peter Diamandis that I like, but I like the ones that Kotler wrote by himself. Um, Daniel Coyle wrote two books that are worth reading: The Talent Code about how do you get better, and The Culture Code about how do you make your team better. I think those are fantastic books. I mean, we're scooping stuff up all over the place. Eric Eric Barker's got a great book called Barking Up the Wrong Tree about the science of success, also written in. Um, very plain language. I got the, I got, I got Eric's book over here. This is, this is worth picking up. It's good, good stuff. Eric is a, uh, a very straightforward guy. And then of course, you know, my partner, uh, Derek Gaunt in our company wrote a great leadership book on tactical empathy called ego authority and failure. You know, if you're, if you're uh, if you're a one percenter, if you're a high performer, you're a reader and these should be on your list. Each, each and every one of them. Just imagine that, uh, you know, that the world is ending, that this pandemic is taking over the world and you get the chance to impart your life's wisdom, uh, a non-commercial, but a message that you would love to share based on your life experiences. And conveniently, you happen to be on this podcast to impart your wisdom. (laughs) What would Chris Voss's message be? Yeah, well, I mean, um, the cavemen that survived are the ones that collaborated. You know, we have to collaborate. The cavemen from the Neanderthal days, they didn't collaborate. They didn't find a way to collaborate and establish working relationships, trusted relationships. You know, that that caveman died alone in the dark. So however anybody's going to come out of this, it's got to be through collaboration. You have to be trusted trustworthy people trust Mm. the majority of the people out there are trustworthy there is a percentage you know our guess is anywhere from 20 to 30 percent out there that aren't but that means that 70 to 80 percent of the people you interact with are worth trusting tease out what the trusted person what that profile looks like roll the dice you're going to make some mistakes but this is the same as going to a casino. If you got a gambling system that works better than 51% of the time, you're going to live. 70% of the time, the people on the other side of the table are going to be worth your trust. Just get smarter on what that profile looks like, and you're going to be better off. I love that. I love that. Could you tell our audience where they can connect with you and if you've got any part in messages? Yeah, you know, subscribe to our newsletter, The Edge our newsletter slash blog, you know, go to the website, blackswanltd.com, B-L-A-C-K-S-W-A-N-L-T-D.com. One of the tabs at the top is for the blog, The Edge. The Edge is free. It's complimentary. It comes out every Tuesday morning. Actionable negotiation advice that you could put into play 10 minutes after reading the blog, and the blog isn't going to take any more than five minutes to read concise actionable it's not one of those blogs where there's so many options you don't know what to do we're going to give you one thing to read that day you can put it into play that day plus it is the avenue to our website the avenue training announcements 
we get a lot of free stuff. We got a lot of really sophisticated stuff that we're going to charge you a lot of money for. That you are not going to be ready for until you've after gone, you've gone through the free stuff. Use the free stuff that we have to raise the level of your game. You're going to start making a, dis, a difference in your life right away, especially in this time frame where negotiation and collaboration is critical to not just surviving, but putting yourself in a position to thrive as soon as this nonsense settles down. Man, I, this has been absolutely fantastic. I genuinely can't thank you enough for coming on the show. It's been so, it's been so great. And uh, if you're in the UK, if, if the Black Swan are there, you can count me in, my man. We're going we're gonna to find our way to the UK before too much longer. So I appreciate that. It's an absolute pleasure being on your show. Thanks.